Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... When the moon turns to blood. When the moon turns to blood, digs deeply into the horrific tale of the murder and mutilation of two innocent children by their doomsday mother, Lori Vallow, and her husband, Chad Daybell. Was it simply a love affair gone wrong? A story of sexual lust so intense it drove two people to kill? Or was it something far more sinister? Join me as I interview author and journalist Leah Satilli, who in her book explains the who, what, when, where, and how of this as yet unsettled case. The why is up to you. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. So as I said, this case is, other people know it as the doomsday mother, maybe, because uh, there has been obviously a lot of 2020 and other documentaries, YouTube things, news coverage from, uh, we'll get into the various, I think there was uh, there was some, some Arizona thing, I think, and some Idaho stuff. So the, the, the case moves around, jurisdictions move around, so I don't know who owns it. But, um, and it's a case of two, beautiful young children who were murdered. Uh, there's no other question to say that they were brutally murdered and and buried in a pit. Uh, one of the bodies, we'll get to that, I don't remember if it's a young woman or the young man was burned. The What makes this case interesting too, some people say it's insanity, that no one could do that to their children, or that it was wrapped up in a cult, which uh, I call it a cult, but it's the, the Mormons, the Church of, of Latter-day Saints, that certainly the gentleman, the husband, was was very much involved in. We'll talk about how much we think uh, Lori, the mom, was involved. Mm -hmm. But so your book again is sort of in, in, in wonderfully written. I'm going to be pushing it throughout because the first half, or not half, but the first section I call it part one deals with the case itself. For people right. who don't know it, the, just the facts, ma'am. That they who called the who first called on the missing children, and we want to cover all that. Who was the first one to say where are the kids, so on and so forth. Following, and when we say parents, the correct me, Chad, or the, the, the Chad Daybell, and uh, the woman, either by her maiden many maiden names, she had five husbands. Uh, we can we refer to her as Lori Vallow with a V, 
Uh, he was not father of any of, of the two missing children. Is that correct? That's correct. Because um, the way that the evidence has started to shake out, it appears that both children had died by the time they were Chad and Lori got married. So they died. Uh, I don't have the dates memorized, but I believe it was around September 3rd that Tylee Ryan, Lori Vallow's 16 year old daughter was killed. And then it was at the end of the month that her son, JJ was killed. And then they were married um, in sometime in October. So we have a lot of an investigative reporting done on this, obviously by you, the book, as I said, I keep saying it's it's fascinating. It doesn't, there are there's sections that I won't call in the weeds, but they give you so much background mm-hmm. and I only read through it once. So I would have to go back. That's I'm counting on you to know a little bit more about uh, the LDS, as I'll sure. call them, than, than I can remember from reading it. But uh, the, so that's an important fact that I, I may not have known. So clearly, um his he's been arrested so i'm guessing he's accomplice after the fact or something that he hasn't been charged actually with murder of the children is that correct with chad daybell yeah chad daybell has been charged so both of them both Lori vallow and chad daybell are seeing charges for the deaths of tylee ryan jj vallow and um tammy daybell so uh, when and how um, did you get uh, interested and involved with the case? Uh, the the story started for me, I think, when it started for most people, which was in December 2019, when the police in Rexburg, Idaho, said there are these two children, they're missing, their mother is missing, and her husband, Chad Daybell, is missing. So it started with these. And what we now know is that it was... J.J. Vallow's grandparents that called and said, we haven't spoken to our son in months. We don't know where he is. Um, And the the family web becomes complicated because this is not Lori Vallow's parents. It's actually her her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. It is his sister. Kay Woodcock was his sister. And she has her, Larry and Kay Woodcock have their own children. And um, one of their children had a child and was not able to care for the child due to just various issues that they had. So the family said, hey, we need somebody to raise this child. And when Charles, Vallow and Lori were married, they, they raised their hand and said, we'll raise the child. So they legally adopted JJ as their son. So that's, a, that's sort of one of many complicated uh, parts of this story. But um, they maintained the the grandparents, Kay and Larry Woodcock, maintained a very close relationship with their grand grandson. They were saw him all the time. They would FaceTime with him all the time. And so, in August of 2019, they called JJ, and he picked up the phone. And his uh, the way they have told it was, he said hello. They said hi, JJ, and then his eyes darted off the screen like somebody was saying, "Hang up the phone." And he said, gotta go, bye, and he hung up. And that was the last time they ever talked to him. They would call, they would call Lori. They were just not really sure what was going on. And his, them not hearing from their grandson was especially odd because in July of 2019, so a month before that FaceTime call, Charles Vallow, Lori's husband, was shot and killed by her brother. And so they were mourning, Kay and Larry were mourning the loss of 
of Charles. And then all of a sudden they don't have their grandson too. So they become very paranoid and trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And that's kind of where everything starts. So now, right. So now we're concerned uh, again. The death of of uh, of Charles, and we we can't find Chad. We can't find Lori, and we can't find either of the children. One being Lori's blood, Ty Tylee Tyree, Tylee Tylee. Mm -hmm. That's her blood. Mm -hmm. Not again. Not Chad's, but it is. It's a child she gave birth to, and then mm -hmm. the one the child she adopted, JJ. Right. So they're all gone. Yeah. And and so where the story, I think, becomes uh, started to get attention was these people are missing. Nobody knows where they are and they stay missing for quite some time. When investigators finally track down Lori Vallow, she is not in a bunker somewhere. She's not, you know, hiding out in some mountain comp compound, you know, with a bunch of canned food and guns or anything like that. Um She's in Hawaii and her and Chad Daybell are vacationing and have been renting a very expensive condo on a golf course. And there is no evidence that the children have ever been there with them. So the police eventually arrest her and they extradite her back to Idaho because they're saying, you, you got to tell us where your kids are. And she won't, she won't tell them. So she is arrested in February of 2020. And that's when the, the kind of the timing of this story becomes really crazy because it was such a big deal that what what was going on, this story was such a big deal in Idaho and, and in the Northwest, but then the pandemic hit. And it was like, you know, stories like this were just not really rising to the level of, you know, mass public awareness. So, um, so, she, so it, it kind of keeps going on as the pandemic is happening. She goes to jail and for months and months, there is no sign of the kids. Investigators are looking everywhere. They're not finding them. And then, you know, when the real tragedy of this story happens is in June of 2020, they go to Chad Daybell's house where he is still free. He has come back from Hawaii and he's just living in his house with his own children because he has his own family. Um, and the FBI and the police from Rexburg, Idaho, find the two children buried in the backyard. Uh, like you mentioned before, JJ, the six-year-old, he is wrapped up in plastic and he's in his pajamas and it's just, you know, duct taped and that sort of thing. Tylee is burned, chopped into pieces. This horrific, clearly evidence of a horrific end. So... Um, that was when Chad Daybell was also arrested and they have both been sitting in jail ever since. So for two years now, and I'm going to catch some clips from YouTube. They were interviewed several times, uh, you know, I don't know if in Hawaii, but along the route of just saying, well, the kids are, the kids are in a, a better place and the kids are okay. So they were, you know, nothing fine and it wasn't, you know, so obviously it was before the bodies were discovered. So they were, uh, uh, to be able to put on that face. 
Well, there's some really stunning footage of a reporter from East Idaho News uh, named Nate Eaton. He and another reporter go to Hawaii and they they see Chad and Lori and they kind of, you know, chase them. And there's this really kind of stunning scene where Nate Eaton is just firing questions at Lori Vallow saying, where are your kids? Just tell people that they're safe. And she won't say anything. And the only thing she responds to is that when Nate Eaton says, you know, people around the world are praying for you, praying for your kids. Um, And she just says, that's great. After her arrest, it was just silence. There was nothing happening. There in court, a phone call came out that had been placed between a friend of Lori's and Lori and Chad, where the friend is saying, hey, what's going on? Where are you guys? Where are the kids? Is JJ okay? Is Tylee okay? And you do hear Lori on that call say, he's fine. I know where he is and you and, and and you shouldn't be asking me to compromise his safety in telling you. So you really hear this mother being very productive and saying, you know, of course, I know where he is. I, you know, a mother always knows where her kids are. And, um, you know, we know now that the well, children it, had been well, dead. She, for also many ha- months. she also has Leah. I mean, uh, Leah, I'm sorry that uh, Lori has. I mean, we call these things, you know, consciousness of guilt. Um, at a point where everyone's looking for her, I forget the, the woman's name, one of her good friends, she calls that friend and says, pretend he's with you or... Mel- it's the same friend that made up, the call. set up mm-hmm. why, and of course the friend said, what do you mean he's with me? It just, just, you know, if anybody asks, so that doesn't mean that you've killed them, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, from the outset of this case, when investigators first showed up on Lori Vellos doorstep and said, Hey, we got a call that, you know, nobody's seen your son, you know, can you can you show him to us? And this is before she's disappeared for Hawaii. And Lori said, Oh, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. He's visiting a friend in Arizona. He's with my friend Melanie. And, um, you know, we know that that same day, that she called and said, you know, take a picture of kids kind of running around and send it to me, it'll look make it look like it's it's JJ. Um, and, and Melanie Gibb is saying, uh, hang on, where is JJ? You're saying he's with me and he's not with you. So where is he? Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot more context around that. But that, yeah, I mean, the, the lying began the very moment the investigators in Rexburg rang her doorbell. The lies started. Now, you made a mention earlier on, and it, again, it's the connection you made that, that you know, they were in Hawaii, they weren't in a, in a bunker somewhere. Someone would say, well, why should they? The reason they sh- they might have is because now we have to dip into this, that they, certainly him from the very beginning, um, a rabid Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, apostle, prophet, practitioner, and so they believe some of the things that, again, taking this from the book, and I'm going to, I may put some uh, uh, onus on some of these words, but clearly uh, they uh, believe in what, this is okay, reincarnation, but as a human, you never come back as a slug. The apocalypse is coming. We must prepare for it. They are definitely survivalists. So they are at times, depending on, you know, the sun, the moon, and the stars, yeah, have guns, uh can goods you know you've got to 
uh, uh, bar the door against um, the government. Mm-hmm. They believed in all sorts of governmental conspiracies. Uh, what I love from the book and, and just from the political standpoint, uh, uh, President Bush, when he first was inaugurated, was talking about a new world order. That was not acceptable. Um, so they are very suspicious of everything and and very closed, a close knit community. And so that so we need I think we need now to get into some of the things that don't excuse anything, but made this so hard to break into or even understand. What do you mean they're somewhere and they're okay? Yeah. Well, I think I I think that what's interesting, what made the case, you know, so much more to me as a reporter than, you know, a, just a grisly crime case is that it it has so much to do with ideology. So like you said, they were both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which mo- most people know as Mormons. And um what is really, really important, I think, and that I tried to get across in the book was that they believed in sort of these very fringe, not acceptable, twisted beliefs, um, twisted from Mormonism, things that the hierarchy of the church would say, we don't know what you're talking about. We can't recognize what that is. So, so particularly, you know, as, as this case has sort of played out and the evidence has come out and, and people like myself have reported, it has become clear that Chad and Lori both believe themselves to be the leaders of the 144,000 prophesied in the book of Revelation, which is, you know, uh, that they would be the chosen people that would survive when, you know, Jesus comes again and everybody else, you know, uh, is, you know, murdered from the horrors of the book of Revelation, that they survive. And um, so, you know, several people said that, Lori and Chad were sort of trying to recruit those people, the 144,000. And so they started having these kind of meetings and study groups and things like that, where people would discuss these parts of, you know, these fringe beliefs that are really not okay to talk about at church. So they would get together and they were recruiting people from this kind of prepper survivalist circuit that exists in the Intermountain West. You know, the story takes place in Idaho, Utah, and Arizona, but it's kind of, you know, culturally a bit acceptable in this this part of the country. So they were finding people that were kind of at the intersection of fringe LDS beliefs and survivalism and who really kind of entertained conspiracy theories about the government, maybe they were going to come in or the United Nations was going to come in and things like that. So they really played on the fear, I think, that a lot of us have been feeling in the last few years with the political divide and things like that. That was ripe territory for them to say, hey, you know, maybe we should all move to Rexburg, Idaho together, and we might be the ones to save save uh, humanity uh, when when the, when Jesus returns. Now, there's no, so, there's no indication uh, right now. Obviously, they're not talking, either one of them. So everything is what pe- good people like you are digging up. So clearly, Trump's um, opinion of everything and way he sees the world, whether and I don't think he believes anything he says, it's 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 a way to get his end, which is stirring people up. But that concept of don't trust people and the government is out to get you and that I'm the only American and America is good and we don't want Jews. and We don't want this and we don't want, you know, all that. 
certainly must resonate in 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 some maybe not Lori and chad but it must resonate with the people absolutely i mean the reason i became interested in this story was because so much of my journalism in the last eight years or so has been about the far right so you know militia groups and people having standoffs with the federal government and um you know this kind of increasing far right groups becoming more mainstream in the era of Trump, um, that him accepting these groups as as allies and, you know, good people, as he would call them. And and so when I started doing the reporting on this book, I thought, well, what better way to understand what someone believes than reading their writing? So I got all of Chad Daybell's books. He was a fictional, you know, a, a, a very popular within Mormon circles, fiction a writer of fiction. And the books just read to me like a guide to right-wing conspiracy theories in America that really I wasn't seeing any original ideas or thoughts there. They were things that this supposedly good Mormon man that Chad Dable liked to make himself out to be a family man, very wholesome. He was really echoing the same ideas that I've heard far-right militia groups talking about that now, people like, you know, that that are very violent. But one of the things you said uh, about his uh, his books, one like sort of capsulization of a particular book, I love it, is Conspiracy as Reality. Mm -hmm. And that says it all. Right. That anything it, it, can be real if you believe it's real. Yeah. And that was, you know, we see it with, um, you know, in fiction, there's all you can you can take anything to the nth degree. What if something happens? And really, that's what Chad Daybell's books were. What if all of these right-wing conspiracy theories actually happen. And so he games that out. And, and the interesting conclusion of almost every book that makes his writing really not all that dynamic is that, you know, there is horrific violence against anyone who isn't Mormon. So in his books, the people who are Mormon are the ones who survive and they are able to set up the world in the way that they want to, which is, you know, it's wild to think about because really that's what Chad and Lori ended up doing was they were kind of using in particular a couple of his books as sort of a game plan for, you know, there is a plot point in one of Chad Daybell's fictional books where people move to Rexburg, Idaho to a small brick house with a pond in the backyard. And that is literally where Chad Daybell lived in Rexburg, now, Idaho. This again, for anybody who's my age, um, this is so reminiscent of David Koresh. And people probably forget or they, you know, they might hear the word. What does Waco, Texas mean? Mm -hmm. um, Waco, Texas and that kind of thing was today's, unfortunately, mass murders of children kind of, you know, in other words, that was big news. Uh, Absolutely. These people. And of course, Jim Jones, it wasn't in America, but the Jim Jones drinking the Kool-Aid and all that. It becomes cultural jokes. But uh, this was not much the whole concept of bringing people together and waiting for Jesus to come down. Jesus is going to come on his own time. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Chad, you're not going to bring Jesus down just because you, you know, got the 100,000 people together. But that's that's neither here nor there. And so it's not new. The concept of of, you know, getting ready and and actually thinking it's coming in a couple of weeks and then that date you know the people saying the end is coming 2015 and then it doesn't come well i'm sorry it's going to be 2016 well it doesn't come um so this was 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 not new but the part of it that's different is the the, the violence the 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 violence that, that that was perpetrated um so let's add to the violence at this point if we can 
because mm-hmm. we sort of alluded to it. So in addition to the children, before the children are discovered, I'm not even sure where it falls in the timeline, but certainly mm-hmm. before, because then they're arrested. We, again, we lose Charles. Right. And we lose Tammy, who is Chad's wife. Yes. So again, we need to point out that Chad and uh, Lori were hanging around, I'm assuming sleeping together, but they had their family, each had a house, each had a family. Uh, a husband and well, one had a husband, one had a wife and kids, and mm-hmm. uh, they Tammy, uh, uh, not Tammy, but uh, Lori actually shows up at a at a, one of these conferences and goes to the book table and is just instantly taken with Chad. So I think it really begins at this meeting over the book table at the conference in the fall of 2018 that, you know, at that point, we know Lori Vallow was very excited about Chad Daybell's book. She listened to his podcast. She was a big fan. And so her and her friend, Melanie, they went to the conference and met him and they had this, you know, meeting that I talked a lot about in the book. Um, And it was after that, that Chad and Lori decided they wanted to keep seeing each other. She lived in Arizona. He lived in Idaho. Like you said, they both had their own lives and their own families. But he would find ways to come to Arizona to give talks and lectures, um, things of that nature. So Charles, her husband, starts to get wise that something is going on. She's making an awful lot of phone calls to this, this Chad guy, and he becomes suspicious. So uh, they start having a lot of trouble in their marriage in 2019. Uh, you know, she leaves for a long period of time. He doesn't know where she is. Uh, they start to get a divorce. They decide not to. And then in July of 2019, Charles cooks up a plan to have an intervention with Lori, to have someone from their church say, what you're doing is not okay. And because he feels like that's the only person that she would listen to as a religious, a religious leader, Lori becomes, um, you know, hip to this plan. And so she calls her brother, Alex, and says, you need to be here tomorrow when Charles comes over. And that's when Charles is shot and killed. It's in the morning. He comes over to pick JJ up for school. And Lori and Alex tell a story of that Charles came after him with a baseball bat. He was going to, you know, he's going to kill him and stuff. And, you know, we, of course, only have that side of the story. Um, but they tell they tell a story of self-defense. And initially, the police buy that story. It's only much later, after all these other people died, that they look back and say, hang on, seems like maybe there was something else going on there. So there wasn't a, there was, there was probably an inquest kind of thing, but there was not a, like a grand jury or anything. They were never close to being charged uh, with with anything, no. But they but Arizona has been clear that when things finish up in the state of Idaho, they will then uh, look at Lori down there for for what happened with Charles. So that takes care of Charles. Charles is out of the picture, but that leaves Tammy, who is a very <laughs> sweet woman, uh, married to Chad for a while, and uh, so then what happens to her? So after Charles dies, Alex, uh, Alex, Alex Cox, Lori's brother, Lori and her two kids, they all move, you know, pick up, pull up the tent stakes and go move to, to Idaho. And to, at that time, Chad and Tammy are still married. And so a couple of things happen in early October 2019. Tammy's coming home from a, a sort of religious meeting and um there's a guy all in black in her driveway when she gets out of the car and he shoots at her and she thinks it's a paintball gun. And she gets on Facebook and says, Hey neighbors, I just got shot at by this weirdo with a paintball gun. 
Well, um, two weeks later, she is dead. And there have been conflicting accounts of what actually happened, that she died in her sleep, that all of a sudden she dropped dead. You know, suddenly a woman in her 40s just dropping dead is very odd. And um, so, so now she is out of the way. And two weeks after her death, Lori and Chad are married. Now, we have to point out, you'd say, well, so wasn't there an autopsy? There was not. The family in Idaho told the uh, medical examiner they didn't wish to have an autopsy, that they said Tammy had been just struggling with her health. It was no surprise to them that she died. Now, the rest of her family says she was training for a marathon. She was an incredibly healthy woman. This is so strange. So not to Chad and Lori's benefit. Tammy was then buried in Chad and Tammy's hometown in Utah. So she was taken across state lines, buried in Utah. When all this started to happen and people started to wonder what the heck happened to her, her body was exhumed in Utah where then an autopsy was performed. So it was really only because she was buried in Utah that that happened. Now, and at they this point, yeah. we don't know the results of that autopsy, do we? Well, uh, her Chad Daybell's children have said that she they were told she was uh, that it was asphyxiation. And I was just on a call the other day where Nate Eaton from East Idaho News was we were talking about this. And he said he has confirmed with sources close to the case that they said it was asphyxiation. So now there's this question of what causes someone to asphyxiate suddenly. Yes. What does I love this. It's in your book, in the epilogue, and you say, um, at first, the story of Chad and Lori and the missing children look like a complicated uh, version of a, of a uh, stock true crime a trope, a love affair gone wrong, a story of sexual desire. Uh, they collected the insurance and split. But, but and at the end, you say, this is a story of faith and of the things we allow ourselves to believe. And I, you know, I mean, I think that capsulize it, although a little bit later, don't you back off that in a sense, or maybe somewhere else in the book where you're going into the psychology? A bit. I think that I was reluctant to say too much because um, we know that Lori Vallow has been mentally evaluated. At one point, she was not fit to stand trial. So we don't know really what issues she has. You know, I really wanted to know if there was a family history of mental illness in her family. I don't know that for a fact. But yeah, I think that, you know, it really, I think the easy way to think about this would be, oh, well, they just wanted to be together and they just needed to get people out of the way. But it's, that sounds so like, like, oh, just flicking, you know, people off the side of the page. You can't really do that. So what, what would someone have to believe to want to get rid of their own children? Right. And so that's why I think it's so much more like a story of belief. Well, and, and yeah, because you might say that she really believed this and even mentally or whatever and thought my kids are in a better place. You know, they're, we're all going to go there. So I'm not going to wait until they grow up and sin or do something or someone does something horrible to them. I'm going to take care of it. But you'd think if they, now maybe they did, you know, suffocation or, or overdose of Benadryl or something. But at that point, you burn them and chop them up. That's not like putting your kids to rest. 
that first page of the book for mm -hmm. believers. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that says a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think I really, you know, I am someone who, you know, I went to Catholic school my whole life. I've always known religious people. And, 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 you know, and I also, you know, I grew up in Oregon. I've always lived in the West. And I've always known Mormons. And um, they were very normal people. And so I think that what I wanted to make sure that people understood was that I find it to be a very um, bad thing when people twist other people's religious beliefs to, you know, achieve their own ends. And so, um, you know, I, it was important to me that people understand that, that, that this is like not an indictment of religion. This is, you know, I'm so glad earlier that you brought up David Crush and this idea that this is a story of ideology because that was something that was so interesting to me was to understand that David Koresh was very motivated by the book of Revelation and the 144,000. And so was Jim Jones. And so were all these different people. So so where does that put Chad and Lori? Are they more like a cult leader, like the, like those people? Or, it, or are they more like a serial killer? I, I, it's, it's hard to know. And obviously, none of that is going to really be known until this goes to trial. Now, a couple of things I want to wrap up with, or I want to make sure I hit, that she was on the Wheel of Fortune. She sure was, yeah. And she was actually an extra on uh, Modern Family. I don't even think I fit that into the book, but she was certainly an aspiring actress, very much, you know, wanting to be on TV. And yeah, she's on Wheel of Fortune. She was a beauty queen in the Mrs. Texas competition. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Sajak and Vanna White. Here they come. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Hello there. Hi, how you doing, Lori? Uh, Lori good, Ryan from Austin, Texas. Right. Hairstylist in Austin, hey? That's right, the best. How, how's the hair in Austin? It's good. Good. Austin's uh, a happening place. Probably thanks to you. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Talk about your family a little bit. <laughs> I have a wonderful husband, Joseph, at home, who is watching our two beautiful children, Colby, who's seven, and Tylee, who is one. Yeah, what do you guys like to do for fun? Uh, we like to play all kinds of sports on our three acres. Okay, sounds like you have a nice life there. We do. Congratulations. Thank nice you. to have you with us. And it was interesting to know that when she was on that show her marriage at that point was really really uh falling apart there were a lot of allegations about abuse and things like that so the facade that people can put on to be on television is I interesting a little money there mm -hmm. and then so let's talk a little bit about the uh near-death experience so so the reason that i became interested in the near-death experience part of this was that chad daybell has written also in addition to a lot of fictional books he's written two memoirs Sorry, my dog has a squeaky toy. Get out of here. We'll Please. leave it. It's okay. 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 Um, so Chad Dable's written two memoirs. And in those memoirs, he talks about these two supposed near-death experiences that he had. One was when he was a teenager and he went cliff diving and uh, says that he, you know, hit the water and something happened and, you know, he saw a big plane of white, et cetera. And then the other one was later after he was married to Tammy and he already had, I think, one or two children and they were at the beach and he got caught up in the Pacific Ocean and sort of slammed against the rocks and things like that. So he would tell people that because he had had these two de near death experiences, 
that he had sort of access to the spirit world that he could speak to ancestors and see beyond the veil. And I just thought, you know, is that his own idea or is that something he got somewhere else? And so I started to learn that there is this, you know, vast culture of near death experience authors, um, you know, that are of all religious faiths, but in the, in this sort of fringe edges of the Mormon church, there have been a lot of people who have said, I, you know, I almost died and I saw God. And they said that the Mormon church is the one true church. So, so it's been um, a thing that's come up and, and been exciting to people in the LDS church for a while. And so he kind of capitalized on. So let's talk about the title of the book. Tell us mm. where the title, what the title of this wonderful book by Leah Sotelli is when the moon turns to blood. I wanted to, uh, I wanted the title of the book to be suggestive of the origin of so many of these ideas. So the, you know, in the book of Revelation, there's just sort of this, you know, the earth melts in on itself in a way, you know, the moon turns to blood, the, you know, the stars fall out of the sky, the rivers turn red. It's, it's, you know, this horror that's happening everywhere. Um, so, so I wanted to do that. And I wanted to also, uh, look at Joseph Smith, the founder of the LDS Church, and what he said. And, and it's interesting because, you know, in a lot of ways, Joseph Smith was a visionary in his own way, in that he had these, you know, he's a very creative person and, and came up with this idea for the church. But in a lot of ways, he was also something of a plagiarist because his, his revelations about what would happen um, in the Book of Mormon and, and things like that were pretty pretty pulled from the book of Revelation. So uh, he talks about the moon turning to blood within his own revelations too. So, so I wanted to do that. I am also a lifelong heavy metal fan. I thought it might be cool to write a book that sounds like a metal album. And to me, what's more metal than the book of Revelation? So, <laughs> um, sure. so at this point, because I do want to let you go, um, why don't you, is there anything you'd like to to add to, to again, you're, we've sort of sped through what, what interested you in the case, which mm -hmm. I, you've made very clear. Um, are you happy with how it came out? And yeah. back? Yeah, I'm very pleased with it. You know, I think that um, to write a book about some really hard things, some really nasty uh, deaths is, is, and for people to want to read it, I think in this moment in time feels notable to me, you know, I'm, I, that isn't lost on me that we would all like maybe things to be a little bit lighter. Um, but I think that what I've always wanted to do with my journalism is, you know, not tread the same territory that everybody else is doing is try and advance the conversation a little bit more. And, you know, I've, like I mentioned to you before, I've been writing about extremism for so long. And I think that that oftentimes, you know, in our minds, we have a little bit of a costume for what that looks like. It's the guys with the AR-15s, you know, it's people storming the Capitol. But I think that with Daybell and Vallow, you start to see extremism taking a completely different form. You know, this is a former beauty queen who taught Sunday school at, a, at an LDS church every week. It, Chad Daybell was this sort of, you know, kind Mormon father. And um, I think to me, that's a sobering thing to learn is that these extremist ideas are sort of infiltrating the mainstream in a way that we need to sort of figure out because, you know, I don't know that any of these things would have happened if those those folks didn't have these belief systems um, that are very, you know, violent and very fringe. So 
So I think that that that's all I'd want to add is that you know um, I think that this and is I a think story you, of extremism. You mentioned it. I think we have to we have to mention and not trying to be funny, but I'm trying to be funny that somewhere along the line, uh, Chad's uh, writing wonderful books and all that, making a lot of money, but his occupation was grave digger. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. Which uh, you know it it was I think shocking to everybody who's reported on this case that you're like. Are you kidding me? And then to have bodies buried in your own backyard and you're like, it wasn't me. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens in court, but it seems pretty, pretty, I don't know, a little but on again, the nose. I'll probably put this in a quick narration at the end or in some um, dialogue somewhere that uh, as we stand now, uh, she, uh, uh, Lori cannot uh, help her in her own defense. She, she's in an asylum right now or where, in a hospital. And this so they updated actually. Oh, and where, where is that? So she is out and she is going to stand trial. So um, so the update to the to the end of the book is that she she had been in an, like a, a mental health facility um, being evaluated. She has now been declared competent to stand trial. So now that will happen in January of 2023. Now, I should say they're either going to blame the, the brother who is now gone or they're going to certainly on her case, uh, prove, uh, you know, uh, plead insanity. So she could still be insane, but help, you know, she's enough sane, competent to help herself, but they could still go for an insanity plea. Well, I'll be back to you after the trial. Uh, you probably won't have time to write another book, but you'll certainly are you writing for newspapers or anything about this? I- or- um, uh, that would be the hope is that I could write a magazine style feature about the trial. So, um, yeah, that's something that I really hope to do, because for me, the story is just not really over until we see what happens in court. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, the book is When the Moon Turns to Blood by Leah Sotilli. And do you have a website or? It's leahsotilli.com. I think that's easy enough. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, again, I want to thank you, uh, Leah. This has been great. It's all good. We were able <laughs> well, to. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you so thank much. I really you. appreciate it. Oh, I really it. appreciate it. Take care now. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. All right. Well, folks, there you have it. Another episode of Murder Most Foul. I hope you found it interesting. If you did, I hope you'll tell your friends. The website for the webcast is www murder most foul all one word no caps no spaces dot com and if you go there you can listen to all the podcasts check out information about each of them uh, see which one might interest you and you can also leave me an email with comments or suggestions for cases that i have yet to look into in the meantime stay safe and for god's sakes don't murder anyone (laughs) 